Well, would you please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 15? And uh, we'll be in verses 21 through 28 this morning. In just a second, I'm going to ask Sarah to come up and read for us. But if you happen to notice the title of the sermon and you're eagerly awaiting an answer to that question, you're probably going to be really disappointed this morning. And so I'm going to answer that question, but probably not in the way that you think, especially when we read the question on the surface of it. But hopefully by the end of today, you'll see what I mean. And, and so Bill, last several months, maybe a couple of years, has been going through uh, the Gospel of Luke on Sunday mornings here. And so uh, this is an account that we're going to talk about today that the Gospel of Luke does not record. Uh, Matthew records it. Mark records it, but Luke doesn't record it. And so it's a really interesting passage, and, it, and it's one that can be hard and difficult to understand exactly what's going on here. And so it's a peculiar passage. And so before we go forward, before I keep talking about it, let me ask Sarah to come up and read this passage for us. Matthew fifteen twenty one through 28. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed with a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And the disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Well, that's the word of the Lord. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning as we seek his help to understand this passage. Father, we are simple people, and we are people of uh, simple understanding. And Father, this is an uh, intense passage. It's a perplexing passage. Maybe it turns on our head everything that we think about Jesus. But Father, we ask that you visit us this morning, that you would send your Holy Spirit to help us to understand this text. And Father, we ask that you speak through uh, this preacher who is a sinner. Father, show us your son Jesus, even this morning. Illumine our minds and illumine our hearts. Open our ears and our eyes to this good word. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, if you're around my age or you're older, you probably remember the classic PBS show, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And if you don't know what that is, it's a show, it's a children's show about this kind, gentle man, often wearing a cardigan. And he teaches children's programs, and, and he would teach lessons and values and a lot of other things. I, I bet probably more than 75% of the people in this room know who Mr. Rogers is. You've probably even seen the show. But something you might not know about Fred Rogers is that Fred Rogers was also a Presbyterian pastor. And he was telling a story about the time when he was in seminary, and he had, was on vacation with his wife, and they had gone to visit some friends of theirs, and they went to their friend's church on a Sunday morning. Remember, he's in seminary, and he's in the middle of taking a preaching course at his seminary. And so he sits down in this church with his friends, their church, and he starts listening to the sermon. 
and he pulls out a sheet of paper in the middle of the sermon, and he starts jotting down all the mistakes that the preacher was making. He starts writing down this list of mistakes he thought he was making, and, and this is what Mr. Rogers said. He, he was interviewed in a magazine where he's recounting this story, and this is what he says and what he remembers about that day. He says, when this interminable sermon finally ended, I turned to my friend, intending to say something critical about the sermon, and I stopped myself when I saw the tears running down her face. And she whispered to me, he said exactly what I needed to hear. Mr. Rogers continues, and he says, that was a seminal experience for me. I was judging, and she was needing And the Holy Spirit responded to need and not judgment. The Holy Spirit responded to need. And so that's exactly what I think is going on in this passage this morning that we're talking about. And so this is a story about a desperate woman with a desperate need and how Jesus answers that need. But you might say, but Jeremy, we just read the passage with you. He literally just said that this woman was a dog. Isn't that harsh? And to that, I say, I hear you. I hear you. I, I understand the uncomfortableness that that brings. But just hang with me for a bit this morning. And I think we can understand what's going on here. And so right from the very beginning of this sermon, I want to tell you what this sermon's about. I'm just right at the very beginning. Jesus called this woman a dog. That is true. He called her a dog. But what I want to suggest to you is that that we're all dogs. Every single one of us, we're dogs. Uh, I, I like what Herman Melville said in Moby Dick. He says, heaven have mercy on us all, Presbyterians and pagans alike, for we are all somehow dreadfully cracked about the head and sadly need mending. Whether you're a Presbyterian or whether you're a pagan, we're all a little messed up. We don't have to take long look to know that things around us and things within us just, just need fixing, right? Just turn on the news or, or open up Twitter or, or Instagram for you students, right? We can see that, that our world is broken. Our lives are broken. And so that's where I want us to begin this morning as we, as we think about this text, thinking about our need about our dogness. And so it's my hope this morning that you see a great Savior, a great fulfiller of every single need of ours, and how he's promised to fix it all. And so as we look at this passage today, I've got three points for us. Three things that I want us to see from this passage. And the first point is an unexpected encounter. Second point is an undeterred faith. And the third point is unrelenting grace. So unexpected encounter, undeterred faith, Unrelenting grace. Let's look at our first point this morning in an unexpected encounter. And so there, there's a lot that's going on at the beginning of this passage. And, and so I want to help set the stage just to kind of bring us into context. In fact, I read so many commentators that said like every single word at the beginning of this is important. And so our passage begins with Jesus and his disciples. They're, they're leaving Galilee and they're going to Tyre and Sidon. And they encounter this Canaanite woman and she calls out to Jesus And Jesus doesn't immediately answer her. Then the disciples say, send her away. And then Jesus says something along the lines of, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel, not to Canaanites. 
I've only been sent to the Jews, not to Canaanites. And so, if this encounter doesn't take you by surprise or even strikes you as odd, it probably should. And so, there's a lot of unexpected things happening here. Kind of our picture of who Jesus is might be turned on its head a little bit. And so, the first thing I want us to note is that the geography matters here. When we read these names of these cities, it doesn't really mean much because we don't have any kind of reference to them. But, but Galilee, Jesus, he's ministering in Galilee, and it says they withdrew to Tyre and Sidon. And so the thing about Galilee is that it's a predominantly Jewish territory. Uh, Jesus spent most of his ministry of his life in Jewish territories. And then when Tyre and Sidon, they're, they're Gentile territories. It's about 30 to 50 miles north of Galilee. And so for several chapters now in Matthew, Jesus and the disciples, they've been trying to get away from all the crowds. They've been trying to seek solitude and rest. And there's one point he even goes out on a boat to get away from people and they still follow him. And he ends up preaching and feeding them. And so they decide to go away from Jewish lands to places where Jesus would have been relatively unknown. And so it's actually the only time in Matthew's gospel where Jesus goes into a Gentile land. And sure enough, he's, he's seeking peace, he's seeking quiet, and they don't even make it into the cities before a woman runs out of the city to meet them, and she's crying. Uh, she's shouting is, is probably a good way to translate it, and it, and it catches Matthew by surprise. Uh, you can even see in verse 22, he says, behold, it's probably, probably what we might say is like, look, there's a woman coming, and she's running, and she's shouting, and she's crying towards us. And so, what do we know about this woman? Well, the first thing it says is that she's a Canaanite. And so, it's really interesting because in Mark's recording of this event, so it's in Mark chapter 7, Matthew chapter 15, it's the same event, but Mark calls her a Syrophoenician woman. Matthew calls her a Canaanite. And so, which one is right? Well, there there is no discrepancy here. They they have different audiences that Matthew and Mark are writing to. Matthew is writing his gospel to the Jews. Mark is writing his gospel to Gentiles, uh, particularly Romans. They live in the Roman world. And so Matthew calls her a Canaanite because her ancestry follows her. And his Jewish audience would immediately call to mind that that Israel's ancient enemy is Canaan. Right? Think back to Exodus. Think back to Joshua, the promised land. It's the ancient enemy of Israel. So Matthew knows that, and that's why he calls her a Canaanite. So why does Mark call her a Syrophoenician? Well, Tyre and Sidon, they're in Phoenicia, which is in the region of Syria, hence Syrophoenician. So to sum it all up, if, if, if I lost you there, come back. This is what that means, okay? This is a pagan woman living in a pagan land. And probably the most unexpected thing about her is what she says. She, this pagan woman from a pagan land, says, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. And so here's why this is mind-blowing. You see, the Messiah, he was prophesied by the Jews that he would come to the Jews, God's chosen people, Jesus was born to a Jewish family. They followed Jewish laws. He grew up in a Jewish town. He chose disciples who were all Jews. He spoke in Jewish synagogues and temples. He dealt with Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. 
And Paul in Romans 1.16 says that Jesus first came to the Jews. And so that's his mission. And here we have this Canaanite woman from this Canaanite land running out to him, calling him Lord. That doesn't make sense. But even more than that, she calls him that Jewish name from the Jewish king, son of David. That doesn't make sense. That shouldn't happen. And so she not only knows who he is, but she believes that he is the Messiah, that he has the power to deliver her out of her desperation. As it says, her daughter was severely oppressed by a demon. And so she's needy, she's vulnerable, she's at the end of her rope, and she comes and she doesn't plead anything of her merit, of why Jesus should help her, but she's begging for grace. And so this here is a woman of great faith. And we find her in the least likely place. J.C. Ryle says it wonderfully. He says, such a prayer would have showed great faith had she lived in Bethany or Jerusalem. But when we find that she comes from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, such a prayer may well fill us with surprise. It ought to teach us that it is grace, not place, which makes people believers. Grace, not place, that makes people believers. What a wonderful line that is. So that's an unexpected thing that's happening here. Well, there's something else that's unexpected happening. Well, the reason that she's coming to Jesus in the first place is that her daughter was severely oppressed by a demon. And so she's going to the only one that she believes that can help her daughter. And so when we first read the passage, this is probably the part that stood out to you most. And it's Jesus' response. So she comes, she says, Lord, Son of David, have mercy. And it says Jesus doesn't say anything. That, that he doesn't respond. She's crying out, Lord, Son of David, have mercy. She's using the right words. I know you're Messiah. And he doesn't respond. But then the disciples chime in and they say, send her away. Send her away. Now, if it wasn't for D.A. Carson, I, I would have thought that this meant uh, she's annoying us, send her away. But, but what D.A. Carson shows is that it actually probably means uh, grant her request and then send her away. But, but either way, there's this sense of, of hurry up, she's bugging us, just, just do what she asks and, and send her on her way. But Jesus doesn't send her away, but he also doesn't answer her request. It's just kind of like it's in limbo here. So after the disciples say, send her away, it gets even more peculiar. And Jesus basically says, she has no right to the blessings of God because she's not a Jew. He says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, can we just all be honest here for a second? And just think like how odd this is, how strange this is to us. You know, up until this point in Matthew, Jesus, he's, he's healed every sick person that we've seen in the book of Matthew, including Gentiles in Matthew 4 and Matthew 8. Like, he, he's been doing this. Uh, Jesus' parting words in Matthew 28 is to make disciples of all nations. That, that means Jews and Gentiles. And so something's not adding up here. It seems like this is actually out of character for Jesus. 
And so what's going on here? Why, why does Jesus respond like this to this woman? Is this, is this just a mistake or, or was this like added later or something? Well, I think there's a couple of things going on here. And, and, and first is this, is that, that what Jesus says here about how he came first to Israel is actually a true statement. Scripture talks about how God has a plan for salvation. Uh, you see it very clearly in Ephesians where he talks about this plan that he has, this, this roadmap to salvation. There's a plan and there's an order into how God works. Bill even prayed that during Sunday school this morning, how, how he has this sovereign plan, right? And part of his plan of redemption is that Jesus would first go to the Jews, and as we know, he would be rejected by the Jews, and then salvation was opened up to the entire world, to the Gentiles. And so he first came to the Jews. Um, if you want to know more about this, John chapter 4, 22 through 26, it shows this exact thing going on right here. I, I don't have time to get into this morning, but you can write it down and look at it. But Jesus basically says in John 4, 22, is that I first came to the Jews, but there's a day that's coming where it'll be to everyone. And so it shows this, this exact distinction from Jesus' own mouth. But there's another reason why Jesus responds this way to this woman. As often is the case with Jesus, sometimes the things that we think are in, unintentional, they're actually intentional. They're very purposeful. Jesus, Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. And so take, for instance, the section right before this. We didn't read it. But the section of Matthew right before this is Jesus talking about what makes a person clean and unclean. And the very next thing he does, he goes to the place where he is 100% sure that he's going to encounter a Canaanite woman, a, a, an unclean woman. He knows what's going on here. And so I think he's actually doing this on purpose for two reasons. One is this, to teach the disciples what he just taught about in verse 11. And it's that what comes out of a person's mouth is what makes them clean or unclean. It shows who we really are. It's not being born from some place or into a certain family, but it's, it's what comes out of our mouths that shows who we are. And the second thing is, is that I think he's doing this on purpose to test her faith. And so this is not out of the norm for Jesus to, to place obstacles, right? Think, think the rich young ruler. He goes to Jesus and says, I want to follow you. And what does Jesus say? He says, okay, that's great, that's wonderful. Now go sell all your stuff. And he's looking to see how they respond. Or think about Nicodemus, right? What does it mean to follow you? He says, you must be born again. Well, what does that mean? Jesus often places obstacles to see our responses to them. And so here, he places an obstacle to test this woman's faith. And what we'll see in our next point is that she's undeterred by it. She's persistent through it. And so that was this unexpected encounter. Let's look now at our second point, an undeterred faith. All right, that first point was a little long. I promise these next two are going to be uh, pretty short. But I just mentioned that Jesus, he's placing an obstacle here for her. It's something to test her faith. And so let's look at what happens next. If you look at verse 25, it says, But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. Now, that's a verse that like melts my heart because it's, it's such a simple prayer and yet it's so heartfelt. Now, I don't have any kids. I know a lot of you do, but I know you parents out there can resonate with this. 
It's a mother that's pleading for an afflicted child, and she's saying, Lord, help me. I have no other words. I have nothing to give you. I heard that you came, I heard that you said that you came only to Israel, but, but please just help me. I have nowhere else to go. How about that for a response? If anything, this woman here is persistent. And I think it's underscored even more by the text here. And so if you'll let me nerd out again, this is where grammar is actually really important for us. Earlier when it says that, that she's running out to Jesus and that she's crying out to him, uh, this is an imperfect verb. And so if you were to Google what an imperfect verb is, what it would say is that it's an action in the past that occurred repeatedly. And so over and over again, she's calling out to Jesus for help. And, and so there's another imperfect verb here when it says that she kneels before him. So she's continually kneeling, like, like she can't go any lower than she is. She's persistent. Lord, help me. And so Jesus responds and he says, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She calls her, he calls her a dog. And so he's implying that, that it's the Jews who are the children and the Gentiles are the dogs. And so what is Jesus doing here with this? Well, I think he's doing exactly what Jesus does so often, and he's trying to get a response out of her. Uh, Jared Wilson, the guy from the, the beginning of the bulletin, that quote, he's a pastor, he's a professor, and he's shown me so much about this passage, and here's what he says about Jesus calling her a dog. He says, he got right to the point, cutting to the quick, and penetrating to the heart, not because he got some weird thrill out of making people uncomfortable, but because he found it eminently agreeable to air out people's shame that he might cover it for them. You cannot vanquish what you cannot expose. And so what would you do here? Put yourself in her shoes. How would you respond to this? How would you answer if Jesus called you a dog? Well, her answer is, is really incredible and it shows a tremendous amount of faith on her part. And so if you look at what she says, she immediately says, yes, Lord, I know. She doesn't fight back. She doesn't argue her cause that this is a worthy cause for you to uh, invest in, Lord. She doesn't even say, that. well, that's not fair. What she does is she owns her dogness. And she says, yes, I know I'm a dog, but even dogs get the crumbs that fall from the table and, and even a crumb from you would be enough for me. What faith she has. If we even had one ounce of her faith, how might our lives be different? And Jesus responds this exact same way in verse 28. She, he says, a woman, great is your faith. And so I'll talk more about this in the next point, but, but this is a woman who had undeterred faith. It, it, it couldn't be thwarted, right? She, I know that you can help me. I know you're the Christ. I know you answer prayer. I, I know you can help. And I know that I'm a sinner and I know I don't deserve any of this. Please just give me a crumb. 
Right, so we've seen an unexpected encounter, and we just saw this woman's uh, persistent, this undeterred faith. And so let's look at our third and final point, an unrelenting grace. And so the story ends with a happy ending. In verse 28, Jesus says, O woman, great is your faith, be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly, is what it says, immediately. And so it's re- really interesting to note here that, that when Jesus compliments her faith, it's one of only two times in the Gospel of Matthew that he does this. He, he never compliments the faith of the disciples. It's her and the other one, Matthew chapter 8, another one of those dogs, the Roman centurion, Gentile centurion. So one of only two times that he, that he compliments her faith. And so it highlights even greater how much Jesus' grace extends to those who are low on the totem pole. You see, Jesus, he's full of unrelenting grace. It can't be exhausted. And so that's exactly what this passage is teaching us here, is that, that when we approach Jesus in faith, pleading that simple request uh, for grace, Jesus listens to us. And so it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter if you're one of these dogs like this woman, unclean. Jesus listens You're never so far gone that you're beyond the reach of God's grace, and you're never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. And just four chapters before this, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. All of you, not just the Jews. Acts 2.21 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so this woman, she comes to the Lord, and she says, Lord, Help me. So I'll close with this. What does this mean for us? And I said at the very beginning of the sermon that that we're all dogs. And and every single one of us, we need to own our dogness. And many of us, we're very acutely aware of our dogness. Like, you don't have to tell me twice. I know, I see me, I know my heart. Maybe you deal with a great deal of shame in your life. Maybe it's recurring sin that you just just can't seem to shake. Maybe it's how you relate to others and that you want them to think highly of you, and if they knew that thing about you, it would make you just want to disappear. Maybe you've been mistreated. Maybe you've been rejected. Maybe you've been a victim. Maybe you've been kept out of the in group. Or maybe you're the one keeping people out of that group. Uh, To to co-opt Romans here, all of us are dogs and have fallen short. All of us. Uh, Ray Ortland wrote a blog a while back, and, and this is what he says. I think he wrote this in 2009, but he says, every one of us knows the shame of guilty self awareness and the fear of exposure. The gospel says your shame is real, even more real than you know, but this is what God has done. He put it all onto Christ at the cross where your substitute was utterly shamed and exposed and condemned for you. Now your shame no longer defines you. What defines you, what reveals your future forever is this word, adorned. Not shamed, Adorned, lovely, attractive. And the moment is coming when he will look into your eyes with glad adoration and you will look into his eyes with confident surrender and nothing will ever, ever spoil it again. My friends, this is what Jesus has done for us through his perfect life, his death, his resurrection. When we come to him in faith, seeking forgiveness, 
your sin has been paid for by the blood of Christ. And he took on your shame, he took on your guilt, he took on your sin, and he crowned you with his righteousness, with his glory. There's that trade. And it's so much so that he turned dogs into sons and daughters, children of God. And so that's our gracious God. And so here's the last thing I'll say. Here's the good news from Zephaniah 3.19. It says, I will save the lame and gather the outcast, and I will change their shame into praise. And so what a gracious God we have. My question for you this morning is, do you know this gracious God? And are you like this woman who is so desperate for Jesus? Would you pray with me?